G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Uh, before we pray, let me just uh, ask us a question, set a question before us all, and it's this. Who among us believes that God, and I mean God, the God of the universe, God over the entire world, the God who made every little grain of sand and who at the same time knows every single thing about all of the most far-flung stars in all of the universe. God, who among us believes that God not just the creator God, but God, the perfect God, that moral integrity like we wish we had within us sometimes, uh, but we just can't seem to reach, you know, noble and pure and right, like we admire and we crave when we see it in our friends, when they do something just right and it is so beautiful and wonderful and we wonder how we'd go if we were in their shoes. Such moral beauty, God without a shred of self-absorbedness, that hollow rot that seems to lie within my heart, I don't know about you sometimes, never needing to be ashamed of who he's become or the things that people will remember for years to come about him, God. And still, God, the powerful God, raw, creative power, uh, and yet sometimes crushing power, the sheer force of God. God, let there be light and there was light. Sheer power, creative force. And at the same time, well, the insurance companies call it an act of God, don't they? When a little bit of a swell in the oceans annihilates coastland, wipes out uh, entire communities, hurls nations into a state of emergency, when a tiny little weather system flattens towns full of houses and crops and industry and infrastructure and they're still building a decade, rebuilding a decade later. God. Who among us believes that God would bend his power, his strength, his attention, his concern, his care toward you? and would fight for you and would come to you and would desire to be with you and not just for a moment but forever. Who among us believes that God would come and fight for you? Friends, this morning I believe that that is the message of Psalm 24 for us and it is a good message. Could we please pray as we come to the text? Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, would you please empower us by your Holy Spirit now to grasp beautiful truths in your word that are good for our souls, that are just exactly what you would have us hear and that will equip us to live as your children in the world this week with the kind of posture and the kind of practice that you desire for us and from us as we live our daily lives Father, please direct our steps this morning and this week in view of Psalm 24. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Uh, May I just frame this first section, these first couple of verses from today's psalm with perhaps a personal question uh, of you. Um, I wonder, where are the places in your life, can you just call these to mind? Where are the places in your life where you feel particularly vulnerable? Can you think of those? Where are the places in your life or times, circumstances where you feel particularly vulnerable? Um, Women and children and the elderly, in my experience, have no trouble calling these to mind. Young men, you might need to think a little bit more. When do you feel small? Uh, When do you feel weak? Just vulnerable, naked. Because I think that's what these opening couple of verses, in some ways, at least in some respects, are trying to press upon our hearts. You, O listener, O human being, um, you are not just in a, a, a big world, O tiny human being, but you are before a God who holds this big world in the palm of his hand, O you, little one, do you see? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. I wonder, can, can you guess my vulnerable place? where I feel small and invisible and naked and vulnerable, what experience would make a mid-30s kind of fit, white, taller than six foot, Aussie male with a couple of university degrees, where do I feel vulnerable? Can you guess? There are actually a few places, uh, but one is when I'm on my push bike. When I'm on my bicycle, let me tell you, Uh, And I I wonder if, as I describe it, if now all of us have a different experience, but I wonder if you can pick up some of the same, if it resonates with you at all. See, it's on my push bike, and not just on my push bike anywhere, but in traffic that I particularly feel it. And uh, where where I'm surrounded by these fast and heavy and heaving metal vehicles, that's when I feel vulnerable. In that moment, you see, I know I am nothing. I weigh nothing compared to that car that just zoomed past 20, 30 kilometres an hour faster than I um, am. I, I, I have no strength compared to that ute that is growling beside me and I know I'm in his blind spot and I'm really not convinced that he's seen me. I am invisible compared to that truck. And fast as I may pedal and quick as my reaction times may be, they're not particularly quick, I know I'm not going to win. I know how it's going to go. I'm not quick enough to get out of the way if they decide that they're coming through, you see. And so I genuinely fear for my life more often than I'd care to admit, more often than Katie probably realises. She's not in the room at the moment. And I reckon it's the same for every cyclist who rides in traffic. And I feel very keenly that the only thing between me and falling foul of this storm of heavy, growling metal monsters around me, each with the power to put me in hospital or worse, the only thing between me and that is the prayer I pray at the start of my ride, the the God who continues to provide for me, and a paper-thin layer of lycra. Not much. 
But may I say, perhaps it's a healthy thing for me. It's good for me to feel vulnerable occasionally with my white, male, Aussie, educated privilege. Vulnerable. But here's the thing. Oh, that we, brothers and sisters, would feel Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2, a sense of our smallness, not just before cars or before men or before grown-ups or the world, but before who? Before the Lord. Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2. The Lord who puts, who puts our world itself into humble perspective. The earth, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Do you have a sense, brothers and sisters, of what it is to live your very life, to walk our lives before the Lord in all of his greatness and majesty and power and strength? But of course, the slightly more troubling thought comes in the following verses. It isn't just that God might dwarf us, you know, we're so little, we're so tiny on this tiny little speck in the universe, or thoughtlessly that he might accidentally knock us off our wheels from time to time in life. No, no, the far more troubling, troubling thought is that he would see us, but that he wouldn't want a bar of what he sees. Verses three to six, take a look with me there, but answer me this, what, what do you make of the tone of these verses? Uh, verses three to six, is the psalmist, the writer here, is he optimistic? Is he positive? Is he, you know, you, you've got this. Or is he more cautious, perhaps pessimistic, uh, negative, apprehensive? Is he scared? Verses 3 to 6, let's read those together. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Right, is he optimistic or pessimistic? Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. How do you hear the tone? I hear it. It is so positive. I mean, I know I read it in that tone, but I think that's because that's the tone that reflects the words there. He's so positive. He's so um, um, optimistic. Now, I suspect that the background for our psalm today, um, the heading, what does it say? It says, of David, a psalm, if you're reading along there in your Bible. I'm not sure if it came up uh, in the text before, but the heading, all the psalms, uh, many of the psalms, I should say, have headings of David, a psalm. And I suspect the of David, in this instance, is saying that David wrote it. I don't think it always means that, uh, but in this case, I certainly think it does. And for a bunch of reasons, and some of those will emerge, I reckon we are reading a psalm that David, King David, wrote for the day that they brought the Ark of the Covenant, right? God's earthly presence, that emblem of his presence amongst his people, the day that they brought the Ark of the Covenant home to Jerusalem, march it on in there, bring it amongst the people of the Lord in the, the heart of their homeland uh, there. Does that make some kind of sense? The whole movement of the psalm, and we'll continue to see this, seems to be from out there in the world, up to Jerusalem, into the city, um, into indeed the presence of God where we seem to land. Um, it sounds, I reckon, like a march, like a parade, especially as we get to the last verses, as, uh, as it was actually on that day, you can look it up later, 2 Samuel 6, 
Uh, and, and I guess the verses 7 to 10 there, I'm thinking, it sounds very much like they are coming into Jerusalem in this parade. Take the tops off the gates. Make sure that there's room for this towering God, our majestic, wonderful God. Make sure there's room for him to fit into the city. And David, for whatever reason, believes on that day, believed in that moment that he had the approval of the Lord. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Verse 5, he'll receive blessing, vindication from God his Saviour. But I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters, clean hands and a pure heart. Do you share that kind of confidence with David before the Lord of all the earth about your coming into his presence? Um, I think Tim Keller sums up my anxieties much more closely than the tone of David's verses there in 3 to 6, at least much of the time. Now, you've heard me quote this before. Do you remember uh, talking about God's, talking about loved, being loved and being known? And the, the and or of those. So Tim Keller says, to be loved but not known is comforting but it's superficial. To be loved but not known is comforting but it's superficial. To be known, oh I know who you are, but not loved is our greatest fear, says Keller. But to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. Friends, we need and we crave, wouldn't it be great to share David's optimism, coming into the presence of God, knowing that we can be with God, that God, the God of the universe who knows everything about us, that we'd be known and loved, what we need more than anything else. We know that we're known by God. He's God of all the earth. We know that he knows who I am. He knows the man that I've become. He knows all that I've done. Now, it's that middle option that I think is terrifying and is the problem for us. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Yes, I've read that quote to you uh, twice before, I think. But what I may not have told you is where that quote comes from. Have I told you that before? Because Tim Keller's written many marvellous books. He's written The Reason for God. I think it's one of the most spectacular books in the last 20 years. Uh, He's written Prodigal God about the the lavish mercy of God. He's written Counterfeit Gods um, about idolatry in the modern world. All of these God books. But do you know which book that quote comes from? It comes from his book, The Meaning of Marriage. It comes from a marriage book, to be known and loved. It's about human relationships. It's actually not from one of his God books, it's from his marriage book. And he's saying what we crave and what we long for and what we yearn for, I suppose not just in our marriages, but in all of our intimate relationships, our close relationships, is not a superficial gushing uh, kind of love or affection, And nor is it a loveless, critical kind of relationship, known but not loved, the love's gone dry. 
No, we yearn and we crave and we long to be both known but without fear because we're also truly loved. It's what we need more than anything. And that, says Keller, is a lot like being loved by God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've ever experienced it in your other relationships. God's love is a love that you can feel safe in, that you can feel secure in, that you can find relief in. Do you now see the character of David's confidence before the Lord and in the love of the Lord? How does Hebrews put it? Actually, not Hebrews 4, but Hebrews 12 uh, says, But you, Christian, you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. This is what you've come to, Christian, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spiritual Spirits of righteous men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What was the question that we began with? Who among us believes that God would bend his power and his strength but also his attention and his interest, that he would see you, that he would fight for you, that he would come for you and that he would desire to be with you, not just for a moment, but stay with you. Who would believe, who among us believes that God would come and fight for us? Take a look at verse 7 with me, would you please, of Psalm 24, verse 7. Because I'm seeing here not just a, some vague spiritual God, not just a, a judging, terrifying God, not just a creator God in all of his majesty uh, and, and strength and power. I'm seeing here a God who has fought for his people, who has come home to them and is delighted to come home to his people, to be with them, to be with us, to celebrate with his people. Is that the God that we find here? I think it is. Let's have a look. Uh, Let's read the whole psalm, actually. It helps us to see verses 7 to 10 in context. Psalm 24 of David, a psalm. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what's false, he'll receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he? This King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Selah. Brothers and sisters, I reckon the question is, where today is this hill of the Lord to be found for us? 
Where is this hill of the Lord? Asks Michael Wilcock, an expert on the Psalms, and I reckon it's a great question. Where today do we find the hill of the Lord as it is in Psalm 24? The hill of the Lord in that sense where I can find a place where God will meet me. Where will God meet us? Where do I know that God has fought for us? Rides in victorious to celebrate with me, not over me, to crush me, celebrate with me, share his victory with me. Um, Somehow finds in me a person whose hands and heart he's willing to accept and embrace and be present with, known and loved, the love we need more than anything. Where, asks Wilcox, and then he gives this answer. Jesus Christ. That's where. Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Wherever his spirit and his church are, there the gates of the city stand open for all who will enter. There now is the true Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Brothers and sisters, as we move to a conclusion, I want to ask, do we tend to think of Jesus as the place where we meet the God who has fought for us. Is that how we tend to think of Jesus? The God who has fought for us, who has fought and defeated death for us, victorious over death for us, who has fought and defeated sin for us, even my sin, even yours, conquered it, swept it away, triumphed over it. Even the sin that we feared might ruin us that seems to keep holding us back from him. Where do we meet the God? Do we see Jesus as the place that we meet the God who has fought evil itself and the devil and triumphed over them in the cross? The God who would now come riding to us to share his victory with us that we might know him as our God, celebrate his glory amongst us in our presence, with our praises, and that it would delight him to do that now and forevermore. Is that the way we think of Jesus? Let's conclude with these verses from 1 Corinthians 15, and particularly in view of the week that's been and the week that lies ahead, 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Yes, O God, our Father, this particular week, we give you thanks and praise that we share in celebrating, we share in celebrating the victory of Christ, our King and our Lord of glory, his victory over death and from death and beyond death, his victory over sin, even our sin and our shames, and his good pleasure to celebrate that victory with us, share it with us, come to meet us in this message of hope that message of the gospel. Lord God, may our hearts this week be sustained and even 
buoyed by the sure conviction that our God has fought for us. He came for us and he will keep us always. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.